0: All right. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, let me uh, open us up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you again for this time we have in the middle of our week where we can uh, gather together and uh, spend some time learning from, uh, uh, from the saints of the past, specifically C.S. Lewis. We ask that your spirit be active with us this evening, uh, helping us to give us discernment as we uh, read this book and uh, help us to glean uh, things that would be useful for us in our Christian walk, that we might become more like Christ and faithful and following after you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week we're going to be looking at uh, letters number nine and ten. We're going to spend probably a little bit more time on the ninth letter than the uh, the tenth letter, just um, unless our conversation uh, draws out when we get to letter ten. Just because I think there's a lot of really helpful things in the ninth letter. And uh, what's uh, happening here in this letter is we're moving on. We've talked um, in the past about the, the topic of spiritual troughs uh, uh, previously. And uh, this is a topic that gets then picked up again here in the ninth letter. And in particular, some of the things that Lewis focused on are ways that Satan now tries to exploit the troughs. Uh, previously, we've talked about how often it is that, you know, when we're in those spiritual um, valleys in life, that that's what God uses to uh, work on us and to sanctify us and things like that. Um, but those are also opportunities that Satan tries to use to um, uh, to hurt us, to damage us in our spiritual walk. And that's the focus in this ninth letter is uh, three ways in particular that the devil tries to exploit the trough, to, to use those down points in our lives to try to um, to pull us away, to hurt our faith, and things like that. And those three things are, uh, first, pleasure. uh, Second, the perception of the trough, how it is that we perceive the state that we're in. And then third, just direct attacks upon our faith. So I want to take some time to to look at all three of these things that we see talked about in this letter. Uh, The first of those is the topic of pleasure. And one of the things that Lewis brings out is that uh, when we're in kind of those, those spiritual low points and those points when we're just um, we're struggling, we're lethargic, we're um, not doing well and uh, you know, cold and empty, things like that, those can be times when we're particularly susceptible to various kinds of pleasure. Those time periods when we are, are down can be weak points for us. And this is not to say at all that pleasures are a bad thing. In fact, uh, Screwtape talks about how we have to be careful because uh, when we're uh, encouraging people in pleasures and they're using them rightly, we're actually on God's territory because God's the one who created pleasure. He's the one who created everything that's good in this world. Uh, Those things aren't bad. Uh, This past uh, Sunday in our evening service, uh, we were in Gospel of John, the wedding at Cana, There you have Jesus going to a wedding. He's uh, participating in a feast and a celebration. His first miracle is the creation of wine, which is a good gift that God has given to make the heart of man glad. Pleasures are not a bad thing. And when they are used properly, they can bring great glory to God. But Screwtape goes on to talk about how their goal is always to pervert pleasure from its intended end. Pleasure, when properly used, is to bring uh, happiness and enjoyment to mankind for the glory of God. But that is not how Satan wants us to use it. Um, some of the things he says here uh, this is, which paragraph is this? This is uh, this, uh, the second half of the second full paragraph of the letter. Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced, uh, uh, for, um, for the humans to take those pleasures, at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least redolent of its maker, and least pleasurable. An ever increasing craving for an ever diminishing pleasure is the formula. We can, it's, a, I think, pretty simple to, to think about some examples of what this looks like. I've mentioned alcohol already. Alcohol throughout the scriptures is described as a good gift from God, something he created to make the heart of man glad. And yet we also see, see throughout the scriptures these warnings of the ways it can be perverted and it can have such destructive, um, uh, it can be so destructive in people's lives. You see that in the Proverbs and in other places as well. And this is what Lewis is getting at here. God has created pleasures as good things for us to enjoy, but Satan is going to want to try to pervert them. He's going to want to try to, uh, to encourage us to take them at times or in ways or in degrees in which God has forbidden. Another example that uh, Lewis brings up uh, in this chapter is the, uh, the issue of um, the issue of sex. It is a good gift that God has given. He made man male and female in the garden. He instituted marriage. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That is a good thing that God has given. This is something that uh, you know, throughout church history people sometimes get wrong as they're you know, wrestling with, is pleasure a good thing or a bad thing? Sometimes they'll say, well, sex is actually a bad thing. It's like, well, no, God created it. It's not a bad thing. But we see in our culture there are, of course, many times or many ways or many degrees in which it can be used in a forbidden way. And what is it that we see particularly in our culture what's happening? They take this good gift of God, And to use the the language that uh, Screwtape use here, uh, what they do with it then is they work away from the natural condition to that which is least natural. It's all over our culture. You take that good gift, you twist it into its least natural form and get everyone hooked on that. And that's a destruction of this good gift in the end, and it's used for the destruction of many souls. And so this is one of the, the first things that, um, uh, one of the ways that Satan tries to exploit troughs that we may be in, these low points, these valleys, to try to, to get us hooked on different pleasures. And one thing we need to, to be aware uh, or to think about is this. We need to be wary that when we are in a trough, when we are in a valley, of attempting to numb ourselves when we are in that valley. When we're going through a dark period, when we're going through a low point, whether it's, whether it has to do with physical things, whether it has to do with spiritual or emotional, there, there's all kinds of different troughs that we can go through. There can be a temptation to try to, to find a way to cope or to, to numb the pain, to make it easier to, to get through it, and particularly to do it in a way that uh, isn't connected with God. Instead of focusing on God as the one to give us the strength to pull through, Instead of focusing on the ways that God may be trying to teach us to become more like him, to be sanctified through the hardship that we're going through, we seek ways to numb it. And one of the ways that happens is through pleasure. Not to say that pleasures are bad, but I mean, alcohol is a great example of this. There's nothing wrong with uh, enjoying a glass of wine with your friends on a social occasion, but when you start to use alcohol as a way to numb the pain of the whatever it is that you're going through, you're headed down a really bad path. But that's something we need to be wary of. Satan will try, when we are in those low points, to tempt us with pleasures as ways to to cope with it, to make us feel better, to numb ourselves to the situation. And we may not even realize that that's a a danger point, but that's one of the things that uh, Lewis brings out here. Any questions on that uh, first way that Satan tries to exploit the troughs that we're in? Any questions on that first point? Okay. The, sex, uh, the second one, the second way that tr- uh, Satan tries to exploit uh, the valleys we may encounter, is to work on our perception of the valley or the trough. Uh, what Satan uh, or what Screwtape talks about here, actually, what we've talked about previously is this. You know, we've talked about how we don't want to judge our faith off of our emotional state. You know, you have that that point when you're you're first converted and uh, you know you're just experiencing that relief and joy of relationship with God and the forgiveness of your sins, and you're you're at this point where you're kind of like on a spiritual high and everything's going really well. But there's going to a time when you don't feel like that anymore. The emotions will go away, and uh, we don't want to base our emotions based off, of, or we don't want to um, we don't want to judge our faith just off of how or whether or not we're having that emotional high or not. But well, you also have the, the flip side of that issue where um, you know, you're having that spiritual high and you, you think that's going to last forever, and then you, then it doesn't, and you're trying to figure out, well, what's going on? Well, the other issue could be, well, sometimes you're going to be in a low valley, You're going to be at a low point. And you can start to wonder, well, maybe this is going to last forever. And you think, well, this is all that it's going to be. It's just going to be this down. It's just going to be this low. It's just going to be this you know, this, this coldness or emptiness that you're, you're battling with and, and struggling with. And that could be a, a problem that many people face. And I've, I know a lot of people who've dealt with this. I've dealt with this at times in my life. And uh, Screwtape goes on to talk about two different types of people um, and how Satan will try to tempt these two types of uh, uh, people as they struggle with this. The first type of person is the person who despairs. This is a person who uh, has a tendency to just uh, being overwhelmed and giving in and despairing of the situation that they're in. And he says, if uh, if your patient should happen to belong to it, to, to be the kind of person to despair, everything is easy. You have only got to keep him out of the way of experienced Christians, to direct his attention to the appropriate passages in Scripture, and then to set him to work on the desperate design of recovering his old feelings by sheer willpower. The game is ours. Notice, first off, he says, keep him away from experienced Christians. Well, the reason for that is because if you've been a Christian for a long period of time, you've probably experienced the highs and the valleys and the highs and the valleys, and you know that there's cycles to the Christian life. It's not always the high points, but it's not always the valleys. But the, the you know the person who's struggling with this may not recognize that in the moment. Also, he wants, uh, um Screw Tape wants the the patient's attention to be directed to only the passages of scripture that would make him feel bad about where he currently is. Specifically, you know it would be passages that are talking about you know the high points that someone's experiencing, and and you know he's not experiencing those, and he starts to despair. And then what he does is uh, he. Um, He becomes convinced that he needs to desperately seek to recover those feelings that he used to have by sheer willpower. He needs to work at it. He needs to to get it. He needs to, to manufacture that experience again. We know what's going to happen in the end. Well, there's only two things that are going to happen. Either one, he fully ends up despairing because he can't manufacture those emotions, or secondly, He starts to construct something false because he's trying to manufacture emotions that maybe are good or maybe not in that situation. And he starts fooling himself into into something that's not quite correct. And so that's one of the first types that Satan's going to try to affect a person's perception of the the spiritual valley, um, where they're down, they're low, and they, they despair of the situation they're in. They're desperately trying to crawl out, but they can't do it on their own. The second uh, type of person is the person that is hopeful. And the, uh, the way that Satan tempts this person, uh, this is how Screwtape describes it. If he is of the more hopeful type, your job is to make him acquiesce in the present low temperature of his spirit and gradually become content with it, persuading himself that it is not so low after all. In a week or two, you'll be making him doubt whether the first days of his Christianity were not perhaps a little excessive. Talk to him about moderation in all things. If you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all, and more amusing. So this person is a person who, um, as they're going through this, this valley, this low point, instead of... Um, recognizing it as a low point that they're going to come out of eventually, they start to think that well, this isn't that bad. This is okay to be in this condition. To be in this condition spiritually, in particular, it can be a uh, is a problem. To be okay with just kind of having a, a lukewarmness or a um, kind of a coldness in their their heart towards God, and they become end up, they end up becoming moderate, and they're. Their religion never seeking to improve or to to grow, they just become content and, and stagnant at that uh, in the trough. And both these these are these are different ways of affecting our perception of the trough. Instead of uh, viewing the trough rightly as a low point that um, we need God's grace and that He will sustain us through to bring us out of it, it's something that Satan will try to he'll try to affect our perception on it whether towards despairing or whether towards a contentedness. Neither of those are a right response. Finally, in this letter, the the third thing that Satan uh, tries to exploit in times when one's in the trough is that of a direct attack on the faith. Uh, If the person can be convinced that the trough is permanent, that's an important key, then the advice of Screwtape is this. Move, uh, move the person to thinking about uh, their religion as just kind of a phase that they're going through. Just start to directly attack them. You know, they, they, they had this experience. It was a good experience at first. Now that experience has worn off, and they're in this low part now, and they're, you know, they're not that interested in it. They're struggling with it. Move to just attack it so that they don't persevere, but just move them to start thinking about, well, I'm struggling, I'm not really interested. You know what, it was just a phase I went through. You know, people go through phases at times. You know, they're interested in this, they're interested in that. You know, he he gives them the advice, give them lots of modern biographies to read. The people in them are always emerging from phases, aren't they? They're always, you know, there's this idea, they're always developing, they're always growing, going from one thing to the other, and uh, things like that. And of course, it's important to... uh, don't let him realize that there's a logical disconnect between losing interest in something as opposed to then making the claim that something's not true. Just because you're not like you know, really gung-ho about God at a particular mo- moment does not mean that God's not real or that Christianity's not true. It just might mean you're struggling for a moment. But Satan is very quick to to try to to use a a low point to then push over the edge to I don't believe in God at all then. But that was just, you know, just a phase people go through. They they get religion for a little bit. But then they realize that there's other things and you know things that are more important. This seems very similar to to something uh some of you may be aware of that you know you have many people today who have been in the church, been raised as evangelicals in particular and then they They fall away, or they move away, and they deconstruct their faith. They kind of look at it as, you know, this is the way I was raised, this is the way I was taught, but there's all these issues with it. And it seems as well, a lot of people go through low points. There's a kind of a a crisis period that they go through, and then they just end up rejecting it. It seems very similar to what Lewis is describing here. They go through a spiritual trough or low point, and then Satan uses that to attack their faith, and they end up walking away. And of course, as Calvinists, we would recognize those who walk away from the faith were never true Christians to begin with. But that doesn't mean that Satan won't attempt to harm true Christians with this attack, and we need to be prepared to fight against it. Then talking about this whole conversation about some of the, the attacks that Satan uses at us when we we're at low points, I want to encourage us with, um, uh, with at least a little bit of a solution in terms of, well, how do we handle this? How do we handle low points in the Christian life? How is it that we respond to moments when we're starting to recognize that our, our heart is, is a little bit cold or we're struggling or we're feeling distant from God? What do we do in those moments? Uh, recently, um, in Richard Sibbs, we were uh, reading um, uh, The Bruised Read, and he, he talks about this, that when one is struggling or going through kind of that, that coldness, The way to be warm again is to go to the love of Jesus Christ. To go to Jesus. To see the love of God for you in the work and person of Christ. And that's what will warm our heart again. When we're going through periods, when we're struggling and weak, go to God. Look to God. See what God has done for you. See the love of Christ on display for you. It may take some time, but that is something that should warm our hearts when we're going through times of difficulty of seeing God's love. But sometimes we go through periods that are extended. Sometimes there's a reason why we feel like the trough lasts forever, and that's because it lasts for a long period of time. You can see this in Psalm 88. But notice that the response in Psalm 88 is, and we've mentioned this before, the response of the psalmist is to cling to God. It's not to give up. It's not to seek pleasure as a numbing agent. It's not to just become satisfied that, oh, I'm just going to be an Eeyore for the rest of my life. It's not to give up and abandon the faith. It's to cling and hold on to God, to continue to persevere in the faith, to hold on to the God of my salvation, is the first verse of the psalm talks about. When we go through low points and troughs and times of trial and difficulty, those are opportunities for us to recognize how much we need our God, to cling to Him, to hold on to Him, to seek His aid and help. And even when it seems that He doesn't answer for a time, He has promised Himself faithful and sure to be with us, to finish the good work He's begun, and to help us to persevere to the end. And so when these attacks come, we don't fall into them. We don't give into them. But we cling and we hold on to God, our Savior Jesus Christ. God will pull us through. Before we uh, switch over to looking at uh, the tenth letter, are there any questions or comments about anything we've talked about so far? That last one we were talking about. Would that like to talk uh, so... Yeah. Um, are you thinking about like just kind of the low points and the troughs or yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that does connect with the dark night of the soul. Um, I'm not sure if that's a um, Christian terminology. Or just... Yeah. I mean, it's been used a lot throughout the, the, the history of the church. I'm sure there's some that have used it in, in wrong ways, but, uh, it's been used as proper ways as well. But I mean, I, I mean, I direct are again, the Psalm 88, I mean, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your ways, Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you, Selah? They surround me like, like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. That's where the psalm ends. I mean, yeah, that, that's an incredibly dark psalm. But notice the psalm's a prayer. That's how the psalm starts. He's constantly crying out and praying throughout the entire psalm. He doesn't give up. I mean, the opening line is, O oh Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. He doesn't give in to pleasure. He doesn't just despair. He, I mean, he's in a low place, but he doesn't just give up and despair. He doesn't just become contented. Oh, well, this is the way it's going to be. And he doesn't, what was the, what was the last thing? Pleasure, despair. Uh, oh yeah, and he doesn't just abandon the faith; he doesn't just give up on God. Now I mean, he's suffering. He's he's suffering physically because he talks about the physical afflictions that he's experienced since his youth. He's suffering emotionally because his companions have shunned him. I mean, the last verses: "You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness." I mean, we have modern psalm song, songs that start almost the same way. And he's suffering spiritually. Why do you cast my soul away, O Lord? Why do you hide your face from me? So, about every version of suffering you can think of, this guy's experiencing it. But he's holding on to God. And I think this is I mean, this is one of my favorite psalms in the Bible because it it helps us to see that the the Bible recognizes. Pain and suffering, and even some of the worst pain and suffering human beings can go through. God is not ignorant of that. God is not unaware of what we go through. And the authors of Scripture have gone through that too. Half the Psalms are laments. Now, most of them have praises at the end. But Psalm 88 is written from when you're in that midst of it and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I apologize. <laughs> yes, Lane. <laughs> description of brokenness. It is, absolutely. A fantastic description of brokenness. And sometimes, and then this is one of the problems with American Christianity. Sometimes American Christianity it focuses so much on this idea of we're supposed to be happy and joyful and you believe in God and everything's going to go well and then the problem that people have is, okay, I believe in God and everything's not going well and not only is it not going well, it's actually really, really bad sometimes. And then what do you do? If all you've been taught about God in the Bible is that you're supposed to be happy and everything's supposed to go well, what do you do when you're in that crisis and everything's just darkness around you? Psalm 51 says that brokenness is the sacrifice. Yeah. Yep. Psalm 51, sacrifice of God is a, a broken and humble heart. Yeah. But that's not popular in Christianity today. I mean, I've talked about this before. Christianity wants to say, best life now. But the message of the Bible, which is a message of hope, is worst life now. For us, this is as bad as it's going to get. We get through this, it's all heaven and glory after that. That's a wonderful thing. So I apologize. Psalm 88. That was, I mean, I think that was the first sermon I preached here back uh, a while ago now. Um but I love this uh, I love this song. I, I think it's I think it's a really powerful message that uh, is not talked about enough among Christians today. So anyway, anything else on letter 9 before I talk more about Psalm 88. <laughs> you guys don't need any more darkness, do you? So okay, uh let's uh move on to to letter 10. Um let's see here. Letter 10, yes. Okay, so in Letter 10, we've got a development that happens in the life of the, uh, the patient, the, the main uh, character that's talked about. Uh, he's developed some new friends, and apparently these friends are um, uh, they're wealthy friends. They're well-to-do friends. You know, They're the, the popular people, the fashionable people. Uh, fashionable people. Um, but as far as we can tell, not Christians. And, of course, Screwtape is very happy that he's now developing uh, this kind of company. And so this letter focuses on uh, this issue, a little bit of bad company, and this is uh, a topic that's going to come up in other letters as well as this man's uh, relationship grows and, well, develops with these people. There will be ups and downs with it. So this is a, an, an important topic uh, about the company that we keep. And the main principle here is this. You know, We are affected by our friends. We are affected by the company we keep. And that can be a good effect or it can be a bad effect. And we want to be careful to say that this does not mean that Christians can't have unchristian friends. We don't see that at all in the scriptures. I mean, Jesus Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what he was, uh, I mean, people threw that as a slander against him, but that's the example he gave us. But we have to be very careful and aware of the influences that people are having on us and the nature of our relationships. So, for example, if, you're, uh, if you have a relationship with someone who's not of Christian character, and the relationship especially is a dynamic where uh, you're trying to fit in with them, or you're trying to impress them, or you want them to like you, they're going to have a much stronger negative influence on you than you're going to have on them. And, of course, the excuse everyone makes is, well, you know, I want to be a good influence. You can have relationships where you can be a good influence, but not if you are constantly worried about what they're thinking and whether or not they're going to like you. And in the letter, he talks about some of the compromises that are um, going to happen. He will be silent when he ought to speak and laugh when he ought to be silent. He will assume at first only by his manner, but presently by his words, all sorts of cynical and skeptical attitudes which are not really his. but If you play him well, well, they may become his. All mortals tend to turn into the thing that they are pretending to be. This is the, I, the idea that's going on here. And you see this especially among young people. Um, you know, I, I know this in my own life. I, you know, I think all of us could probably testify two times in our lives when we perhaps uh, have struggled with this issue. But especially among young people, you want to fit in upon a, a certain crowd, and so they may say things that you disagree with, or that they may say things that are wrong. And are you going to speak up, or are you just going to be silent? They're going to make they're going to make, uh, going to make j- jokes that aren't appropriate. Do you laugh to just try to fit in? You may not make that joke yourself, but when you should be silent, are you going to laugh to fit in and get some approval? He will assume at first only by his manner, but presently by his words, all sorts of cynical and skeptical attitudes which are not really his. This is the idea that you know you're at first you're just trying to fit in you're gonna you're gonna laugh at their jokes you're not gonna you're not gonna um you know speak up for what's right when they're they're saying something that's wrong, and those are just kind of mannerisms, but then all of a sudden you're gonna start making those jokes, you're gonna start saying those things, you're going to try to to win their approval by compromising on what you believe you may not necessarily believe it yourself but you're going to start speaking it you're going to start fitting in you're going to start acting like it and the next thing you know what you're pretending to be to fit in with those people you're actually going to become that that's what happens i mean i've seen it in a lot of cases i'm sure many of us have seen this happen we need to be very careful about the kind of influences and relationships that we have with other people. This is not to say not to have unchristian friends. But we need to be very careful in how it is that we relate to them. Uh, Some other things that Lewis talks about here, he talks about, uh, he brings up this issue of the slogans again. Because, of course, anytime you talk about this issue and you're talking about things like, you know, what kind of friends you should have and the kind of conversations you should have and, you know, things like that, you know, the classic response is, well, you're just being a legalist. You're just being a, a Puritan. You're just being, you know, you're just worrying too much. It's not that big a deal. Well, no, it is a big deal. It's a big deal because it affects our souls. That's the most important thing. Our immortal souls and their relationship with God. Of course, our friendships and all those things are big deals. But this is how Satan responds He wants them to focus on. The slogan, oh, that's just, you're just being a fuddy-duddy or whatever, you know. Don't be like that. We need to be aware of that, not allow those labels to scare us away from being careful about how we act and live our lives. He also talks about the uh, the issue of living parallel lives. Of course, a worse, uh, a more insidious version of this is, you know, the double life where one is supposedly living as a, as a Christian on Sunday, and he's living about as the most evil, wicked person on Monday, as you can imagine. That's um, the most extreme example. Many people don't necessarily fall into those categories, but they will fall into parallel lines, where they're living one way among one group of people, and then when they're around their other friends, they, they look a little different, and they're just kind of mimicking to fit in with the people around them. Here it's the example of, you know, he's got these friends that he wants to um, to fit in with one day. Or actually, this is how he puts it. He says, this is done by exploiting his vanity. He can be taught to enjoy kneeling beside the grocer on Sunday just because he remembers that the grocer could not possibly understand the urbane and mocking world which he inhabited on Saturday evening. And contrary, wise, who enjoy the body and blasphemy over the, the coffee with these admirable friends all the more because he is aware of a deeper spiritual world within him which they cannot understand. You see the idea, the worldly friends touch him on one side and the grocer on the other, and he is the complete, balanced, complex man who sees round them all. Thus, while being permanently treacherous to at least two sets of people, he will feel, instead of shame, a continual undercurrent of self-satisfaction. That's a dangerous place to be in where someone, and I'm not sure if you've ever known anyone like this or, or seen this, but you know, someone who can be satisfied is like, yes, you know, I understand there's a spiritual world, and so I go to church and I, you know, I hang out with those religious people, but you know, I'm not such a legalist that I can't have fun with you know all these other people and enjoy this, you know, you know, this important society and things like that. He ends up compromising and being a, uh, how does he put it here? Um, He ends up being treacherous to both of them because he still thinks that he's better than those highbrow society people because he knows there's a religious world or a spiritual world. Yet he's being treacherous to the the Christians because he thinks he's better than all of them because he's able to inhabit this other world and, and fit in there. These are things that we need to be aware of. The kinds of company we keep, the relationships we have, and the influences that they are upon us. We are always going to be affected by the company we keep. Of course, this is also why God gave us the church. Because we're affected by the company we keep. And we are designed to be social creatures. I mean, God said it's not good for a man to be alone. He created us to be social. We need other people. That's part of why the church exists, because we are a body, many unique, different parts with different gifts and abilities and all those things, but brought together as one for the mutual edification and support of each other. We need each other. We need each other. Because we're social creatures and we're affected by the company we keep. Okay, that's all I uh, have for this evening. So any questions or comments on letter 10 uh, or anything we've talked about before? Everybody's quiet tonight. That's okay. All right. No. Say again. What about, Psalm 88? <laughs> what about Psalm 88? You know, be here another half hour. I've got a whole sermon on it. <laughs> uh. All right. Let's, um, uh, let me close this in prayer. Uh,